0: Welcome to Mind Your Mind. Mind Your Mind podcast is for busy people like you who want to enjoy life and free up their time and emotional space by learning valuable tools for self-care and mindfulness. Our weekly topics are filled with compelling discussions and practical solutions to increase your productivity and healthy living. I'm your host, Joseph Tropper, and I'm honored to have you here with me today. Hello and welcome to Mind Your Mind, Episode 56, Six Ways to Maximize Therapy gotten a lot of requests about this, kind of how do I know I'm working with the right person or uh, what should I look for when I'm searching for the right person to, therapist to work with. And just sometimes uh, things come up during the therapy process and, you know, what do I know? And I think it's a great question uh, because, uh, you know, when you work with your accountant, you have a goal, you want your finances set straight, and you want them to get you back the best refund that you could get. And when you go to your doctor, you want them to identify symptoms and treat you. And so I think it's great to be thinking about um, how do I maximize therapy. So I'm going to talk about six uh, general uh, guidelines, which I think could be helpful, whether you're looking for a new therapist, whether you've struggled finding the right one, or whether you're not sure whether you are with the right one. Um, And I think you might find some of my suggestions a little surprising, but yet intuitive. So hang tight and let's go through it. Number one is called find a good match. And what that means is that there are tens of thousands of therapists in your vicinity. Um, Even if you live in a small town, and I'm not talking about like some remote place where you got to take a boat to get there, (laughs) Uh, you know, there's tens or hundreds of people that are licensed professionals in Maryland. There's close to about 20,000 licensed professionals and maybe about uh, 5,000 people in Maryland that are, you know, currently taking new clients or so it's estimated. So there's a lot of choices. Um, Finding a good match, I think, has a lot of components. Uh, Some of the good matches would be people that have the clinical experience that you feel comfortable working with. For example, if you're dealing with anxiety issues, then you might wanna ask the person what their experience is or read what they write about themselves on their About Us page if they have one, which hopefully they do because nowadays, uh, you need to have access. Uh, You need to give people access to you in order to be able to pick up clients and you need to uh, be out there so people could read about you and people like to be educated before they come. Um, if you're dealing with a specific situation like a possible eating disorder, you certainly don't want to just work with a general practitioner. You want to work with someone who's an expert. If you're dealing with a personal trauma issue or relationship issue, um, there are generalists, but there are people that have specialized training, and I always recommend that you go for someone that has the most amounts of training if you're dealing with a specific issue. If you're dealing with general issues of general anxiety, depression, general life challenges, then that you know it could be okay to work with kind of a generalist, but... But nowadays, I think a lot of people have specialties, and my recommendation is to go for someone that specializes um, in in those matters. Um, what's their education? There are some people that specifically want someone who's graduated a long time ago, or people that want a newly licensed, or new, at least um, you know people within the last five to ten years uh, to work with, as they feel that they could relate to someone on that age group better. Um, I know that throughout my supervi- supervisory uh, experiences, I've always gravitated it doesn't matter to me what gender um and sometimes for people it does but i know that i've always gravitated towards older and more experienced people because i just like that dynamic um i feel like i'm you know learning from their 30 40 years of clinical experience that's a personal choice there are some people that uh, might come to me and say i wanted someone in my age range which i take as a compliment when they're younger than me um and i take as an insult when they're significantly older but uh, i'm kidding we don't take we try not to take these things personal um so finding a good match, it's okay, not everyone is good for you, and and unlike, you know, you could have a doctor who's really rude but is really good in his, in his or her profession, um, which to me bothers me, but doesn't take away necessarily from their medical knowledge, but with therapy, you know, you really have to click with this person because there is going to be a connection and a trust that you're creating, and so um, don't be afraid to, to look at things that, that you feel are a good match, and certainly... Um, If there are things that you feel would not be a good match, that's okay. You're normal. Um, sometimes friends recommend people they've worked with just because your friend liked her or liked him doesn't mean that you're going to, but you could certainly ask, you know, why do you think that it would be a good match for me? Um, so always look for that good match. It is important for finding a therapist that you feel that you jive with. Number two, set goals. I can't stress this enough, um obviously, as a clinician, I always try to do that, and I tell all of my supervisees the same thing that you gotta set goals because therapy has to be directed towards something um but don't be afraid to speak up if if you don't feel like you're doing that with your therapist um you know many times if you're going through insurance or depending on what insurance you have, it could be that your therapist is writing goals, but he or her he or she might not be discussing that with you, which. Um, you know, I think is a disservice, but nonetheless, you know, sometimes people just forget or just kind of do it routinely. So don't don't be afraid to speak up. Um, in fact, anyone that works with me, I, I'm always constantly focusing on, um, you know, especially the first session. I want to get all the information about you, but I also want to know, you know, what are your goals of therapy and what do you hope to accomplish, and I'll help talk you through that. So we both have a clarity. Um, and I do this for a number of reasons, but one of them is because. And I've said this before. I believe that therapy is a washing machine. What does that mean? There are two ingredients that require that are required as part of a washing uh, cycle. The first one is you put your clothes in there, right? And you got to add detergent. If you don't put detergent, then they just stew in their own juices, and they come out smelling just as bad. So you got to put detergent in there. And the second thing is that that when you once you put the detergent, and you close the, you close the machine. You let it do it. You let it do its work. It has to agitate because that's what gets out the dirt. And so I believe that therapy has those two ingredients as well. Uh, the uh, detergent are the life skills that the therapist has to teach you. And those are the things that we have from our experience and from our trainings to be able to give over to you. But these are skills that you could use that will help uh, you know, clean the clothing. And the agitation is when we challenge you, when we say, you know, listen, you started off at point A, your goal is to get to point B, and there's a trajectory that... Yeah, We had agreed that we were going to follow, and right now we're derailed, right, just based on what your own goal is. And it's unpleasant, it's uncomfortable, but that agitation really helps helps get us somewhere. So it's really important to set goals explicitly with the clinician. Now, I've, I've worked with clients who are very lackadaisical about this, and I've worked with other clients who are too obsessed with it and too focused on it. And I even had one woman that used to grade every single session and say, well, this time you helped me on a scale of one through 10, it was a nine, so I'm going to come back. But this time it was only a two. You know, I, 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 I don't think that a person has a right to choose whether, you know, whether they continue working with someone or not, but it gets a little dangerous when you start getting very nitpicky in that way. I would say that the two biggest challenges that I see in therapy are people that play the blame game, um, kind of the victimhood, and people that play the change game. Now, what does that mean? Um, I believe that people come in and they just want to blame their problems. I have a horrible boss, a horrible spouse, horrible parents. Um, It might be true, and I'll validate that, um, but it's not going to get us anywhere in, in just kind of blaming uh, because we have to take responsibility for ourselves and make changes in our own lives um, and, and that will lead us to the second one but we have to take responsibility for ourselves it's not our fault that someone's mistreating us it's not our fault that someone has problems um, but it is our choice how we deal with those challenges and um, I try to empower my clients to understand that you're right this person is a bad person this person is acting inappropriately etc and I'll validate that and it's important to have the validity validation um, but Now, what what are the things that we could do to empower ourselves to move forward? And the second thing is people that come in, they want to change other people. You know, if my boss would just change and stop acting this way, if my spouse would just change and stop acting, if my father, if my child, and if we demand people to change and we play the blame game and the victimhood game, we end up very frustrated because we end up just in the same disempowered situation that we started with. And what I try to transform in the clients is the coping skills to be able to take responsibility for our own actions and our own choices in life and the coping skills to be able to make changes in ourselves, uh, which sometimes will impact uh, those around us in, in a healthy way and sometimes will not and will sometimes will help us recognize that we need to distance ourselves and not put so much energy into things that we can't change or people that we don't um, have the ability to get along with properly and effectively. And that's not an easy thing to get to, but when you set your goal and you know we're constantly looking at those goals, um, I'm going to help you steer towards that. Number three is speak up you have a right i mean you're you're the client and you have a very big right and responsibility to speak up if you think something the therapist is saying is wrong or it's rubbing you the wrong way get some clarity check in you know i've i've worked with all too many people especially you know for a number of weeks and we get to know each other and we have a good rapport and you know they'll tell me a few sessions later you know i was really upset and hurt by what you said and and i'm human i don't always validate properly um and i don't always um you know pick up every every nuance that that the client wanted me to understand and um, in many of the cases, I'd say about 90% when I hear that in retrospect, I'll say, I'm so sorry, we had a misunderstanding. And and again, in 90% of the cases, that is what happened. And the client will even say, you know, you're right, I did misunderstand what you said. Now, I never tell people what to do, so I steer away from that. Um, but sometimes people don't like that either. And they need to get used to the therapy process where I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm empowering you to live the best, and to maximize the life that you could live. So... I want you to speak up. I think it's important. I think most ther- therapists will encourage it. And, and and even if we have to have an uncomfortable conversation about a misunderstanding, about a cultural thing, about a uh, an understanding or a judgment that seems to have been there, um, that is really, really important to have. Number four is no homework, but apply what you learn. Now, I know that different therapists have different attitudes, but what I've found is that when we quote unquote say, here's your homework, um, it, it feels like you're in school. It feels like you're not empowered. And I don't like that. There's no homework because... If you're applying what you learned, then your entire day is going to be revolving around you know, using the therapeutic skills. If you have a new skill, for example, let's say you don't know how to read and someone teaches you how to be literate or you don't know how to write. So like I'm not going to give you I'm not. – there is a process of giving you homework so that you could practice it and get good at it. Um, but I think that life already challenges you. What I would say is just the fact that you write is the practice and the fact that you now are able to use it and, and read and write and, and use it for life is the practice. And it's the same thing. Um, Yes, I might tell you, okay, now that we understand that you've been very critical towards your spouse, so we're going to work on really – calling yourself out or recognizing when you are getting in that critical mindset. Okay, great. That's really healthy, but I'm not going to say, here's your homework. Do this or do that. At the same time, there are times that clients need to have as part of their goals. They want to have a book, a workbook that they're working on or specific things. That's okay. I'll give it out. But my rule of thumb is apply what you're learning, and I'm not going to give specific homework. Yeah, there's going to be a takeaway. There's going to be a perception change, but I'm not going to give you an actual homework of do these five things because I think it's very school-like. If you feel that you need something uh, solid to work on, then I will give you a workbook or I will give you you know an exercise and that 's okay if you ask for it but my general modus operandi is just apply what you 've learned in these one, two three ways and let 's write that down and let 's check in next week and see how you 're doing with that in general because I think it's more um, i think it 's more organic that way number five one some of the biggest goals of of therapy are finding your blind spots and becoming accountable look let 's face it we all have blind spots there are times that we uh, think that we're acting nicely, and yet our attitude or our defenses are coming out in very negative ways. There are times that we don't recognize how we're talking to our children to our spouse to our friends, to our family and being aware of it, you know listen, just like every car has blind spots um and every truck has blind spots I, There was a guy who was a trucker that I worked with, and he was in a horrible car accident where he switched lanes, he put on his blinker, switched lanes, and next thing he knew he um he totaled someone's car because th- that car was in their blind spot and you know, he basically came to the session to explain to me. That he felt really guilty for what happened. Thank God, no one died, but there was a lot of financial loss and a lot of upset and a big lawsuit. And he basically said, "You know, I didn't see this person in my mirror. They just they they weren't there." And he couldn't grasp the fact that it's true. Um, he did put his blinker on and he did try to look, but there are blind spots on every truck and on every vehicle. Period. And um, he just would not take responsibility for the fact that look, it was in a blind spot, and they, maybe we need to deal with the blind spot factor. You know, it says, um, you know, if if you can't see my mirror, I can't see you, and that's true for trucks. And this car, I guess, was trying to pass him. You know, when the accident happened, from what the police report said. But um, you know we have to recognize that we do have blind spots, and unfortunately, our friends and loved ones do get hurt by them. And the more accountable we are, uh, the better off we can be. And finally, the sixth one, which I think is the most important, and I hope brings everything together, is stay with a positive focus and stay with positive influences. I can't stress this enough that when you have a therapist who has a negative attitude about life in general and is bitter and nasty, that will have an influence on you and that will that will slow down your process. You want to find someone that has a positive attitude in life that is looking to promote the things that you want to promote. So for. Example, for example, if you feel that a certain relationship is repairable and important and your therapist is just telling you, eh, just throw the towel and forget about it, um, you know, you could check in with that therapist if you have rapport and you respect them and you could listen to them. Um, but in my general rule of thumb is that a therapist's job is to um, be a guide for principles but you have to apply it yourself and the therapist's job is to empower you to make the right decisions about your life. So the therapist is telling you what to do. And certainly if they're telling you to break off something or to destroy something or to do something that doesn't feel right, um, or doesn't have a positive focus on it I'm not talking about a realistic approach Which might be to accept someone's illness Or mental illness or, or challenges or, or things that aren't going to change that, that, That's very healthy But I just mean that if they're putting a negative tint on things More than what is just What is validation and what is reality And what is necessary Then that's not someone you want to be working with You want to be working with someone Who has a positive attitude in life Who is a healthy person themselves And who is encouraging you to be the most positive And helpful person in your life So to summarize six ways to maximize therapy is find a good match set some goals use that washing machine well Um, don't forget that part of that is helping you gauge success but part of it is learning the life skills the therapist has to teach you and also being um, accountable with the sometimes challenges that the the therapist sends your way speak up number three, if you have something on your mind. Number four is I don't really believe in homework. Let it be an organic integration of what you've learned. Number five is find your blind spots and become as accountable as possible. Number six, stay positive and with a positive focus from the therapist as well. Um, I know that some people may hear this and may feel that, um, this really inspires them to find the right person or this really validates what they thought about their therapist, whether they were the right person or they weren't. But what I ask you is talk to your therapist. And if you're looking for a therapist and uh, you want to talk to me um, and you feel that I could be a good match for your needs, that's cool. Just reach out and I'll be happy to give you a free consultation. So best thing is just take care of yourself and maximize your therapy process. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to Mind Your Mind. For more practical ideas and to make sure you never miss an episode, visit us at mindyourmindonline.com.